Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined as always by Carl Truman and Amy Bird. Hi, Carl. Hi, Amy. Hey, Todd. Carl, greet me. Okay. Um, Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We want to talk just briefly with you today a little bit about engaging children in the corporate worship of the church. One trend that really began to take off in the late 80s and, and coming into the 90s was the trend to remove children more and more from the corporate worship of the church. And this was done in various ways. And before we go on, please, I'm not anti-nursery or anything like that. So I just want to establish that right off the bat. If you're a mother and you've got a six-month-old, I hope your church has a nursery to help out on Sundays. That said, there's been this trend to get kids out of the way. I mean, we're distracted by them. They make noises. And plus, they can't understand anything. And so what better than to have an alternative for three-year-olds and four-year-olds and six-year-olds than have to sit through a, a big, boring worship service, because after all, they're not going to get anything out of it anyway. So when it's framed like that, it's really hard oftentimes for people to disagree with that. No, it isn't. <laughs> One, we don't divide up the body of Christ. And I think it's a good discipline to have kids in the worship service. It's important for them to be there, to be used to sitting under the word of God. And secondly, if you're having a children's church or, or people are taking the kids out during the service, of course, the people doing that, the, the adults, that they're not in the worship service either. So I think, I think it's practically and theologically problematic to do that. Not to say that a church that does that is sinning. I just think that they are not doing the best that they could in that situation. Um, in our church, we have a children's church that goes up to kindergarten. And the children are in the service through everything up until the sermon. And there's an opportunity where workers come and they, and they take them back to where they have a Bible lesson for their age. And I'm comfortable with that. Again, it goes up to kindergarten and then nothing after that. And we have a lot of families that choose not to use that. And they have their infants in our services. And our church is just kind of used to having some baby noises. Mm. I mean, we're, we're yeah. just used to that because we have a lot of babies yeah, same with in ours. our church. Yeah. I think it's important in that context to make sure that people who are sitting in the congregation with their kids feel comfortable. Now, we, you would expect parents to exert a certain amount of control and discipline on exactly. the children, but every now and then a, a child is going to cry or there's going to be something that happens. It's important to have an atmosphere where the parents feel comfortable getting up and taking the child out mm-hmm. to calm them down or something right. like that. They don't feel they're being looked down upon for doing that. So there are certain atmospheric or, or cultural aspects that need to be cultivated. Right. Yeah, right. We even have a nice room now where where they can go if their children are being unruly or for nursing moms or special needs children that are even older to where the sermon is still being streamlined into the room and they can still even see what's going on in there. I would have loved to have had that when I was a nursing mom, you know, that would have, because, you know, I'd remove myself completely from the congregation into a quiet Sunday school room in a dark corner, you know? So it's a great thing to offer if you're able to Mm -hmm. in a church. Yeah. And we have a a nursing room for nursing moms. We have a soundproof room that has a glass wall 
right there looking into the worship center so that if a parent knows that their kid is going to be particularly challenging that day or, or that because it happens, it happens sometimes. And the wise parent goes, you know what? My child isn't making just a couple noises here and there. It's going to become distracting people. and they take them in, but they can still go in that soundproof room and are still able to be engaged. They're still able to sing the songs and uh, and we can still see them, you know, uh, but some of those things are ways that churches can help parents because we don't want to be callous. Right. Because children come with all kinds of personality types and that kind of thing. And some parents have kids that are really easy and some parents have kids that are super challenging and we don't want to act like that's not a challenge and we don't want to be insensitive to them at the same time. We want to honor the fact that, as you said, Carl, we don't want to divide up the body of Christ and we see real value in families worshiping together. We see real value in young kids hearing and learning to participate in the corporate worship of God's people. And one of the things that that does is that teaches them that the church's worship is not something that revolves around them. And one of my concerns, because what happened was that Children's Church for the Youngest Kids, which started some years ago, has ended up evolving into full-blown Sunday morning worship services for all of the children, middle schoolers, and high schoolers in a growing number of churches. And so you can conceivably be raised in an evangelical church in America and never be in a corporate worship service with people outside your age range until you're a college student. It's really all about your And that's what you learn. Exactly. You are taught then to be a consumer of worship products. What about a children's talk? Let's say you have a church where, yeah, the kids stay in the service in the morning or in the evening. But there's a separate talk for them. There's like a children's sermon. What yeah. do you think of those? I love it. In fact, I, it's, I love it too. Yeah, it's something that I have not done since I've been at Covenant, but I'm thinking about adding, not every Sunday. You have but, a pastor of children's preaching. <laughs> you, Covenant, <laughs> well, you pay people to do that stuff. I, I wouldn't expect you to understand these things. But uh, yes, there are some churches that have more than one staff person. <laughs> but no, I am thinking about periodically adding that to a morning service because I, I think that they can be wonderfully helpful. And again, you need to know what you're doing. A pastor needs to understand how the best way to communicate to kids and be careful of too much abstract thinking and that kind of thing. But I think it can be a wonderful way to engage those kids and for them to begin to really see you as their pastor Yeah, as well. I'm not skeptical, but I've just seldom seen it done well. That would be my comment. That in theory, yes, I, Mm -hmm. I don't see any problem with it. But in practice, the ones I've seen tend to be patronizing Mm -hmm or just a bit fake and contrived because it's something... Right. I've seen it done terrible, but... Yes, um, I've seen it done My pastor well. does yeah. it on special occasions usually, mm-hmm. and he does it so well. Yes. He really does it so well. And mm-hmm. the kids leave with something to remember, and they've participated with him in saying it back, but he asks them good questions, and it amazes yeah. me how good their answers are. And he right. even asked for, you know, like at one point he was asking for different things for them to be, I think it was during Thanksgiving time, that they mm-hmm. would be thankful for. And, you know, dig in though a little further with them. And right. Does he coordinate it with what he's then preaching that day? Uh-huh. Or is it a yeah. Separate? yeah. So it's the, the children's talk or address mm-hmm. will be connected then to what's mm-hmm. reinforced in the message. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that's a great idea. And and I think, I mean, going back to what you said, Carl, I think, I think the church 
can be very grateful for the fact that you don't do children's <laughs> sermons. Um, I, I think we would all agree that that would be a train wreck. But seriously, though, I've seen it done poorly. And in that case, it ends up just being a distraction. But I've also mm-hmm. seen it done well. And in that case, I think it's a blessing. Another way to engage children is I would encourage pastors to have children's sermon guides. Yeah, I love now, that idea. I understand not everybody's able to do that. I do a sermon guide every week for the adults in our church, double-sided page, eight and a half by 11, with basically it's a devotion that covers all of the content of my sermon people are able to have. And God's given us a really wonderful children's ministry director, and she and I meet every Thursday to talk about the content of the sermon. And she does two different sermon guides, one for younger children and one for older children that engages them. And as parents are coming in, those are set out along with a little bag of crayons and they're able to bring those. They come in and periodically I will encourage the kids. They get a bag of crayons and I will encourage the parents. Or I'll it, encourage to make a church. Big no, budget. no. They, they, I think they return them. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we, we give them Mont Blancs. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I will encourage the kids periodically to, to show me their because uh, Lisa will have. Uh, little things for them to fill out on there or that. Mm-hmm. And I'll encourage them to show those to me after oh, the that's, see, that's sermon. And so I'm always do. connecting mm-hmm. with kids after the, who come up with their pages to show me for pastors to think about ways to engage with those kids that way. And now it's not uncommon for kids to run up to me before the service and ask me what I'm preaching on that wow. Sunday morning, which is a new experience for me. So that I know exactly what to tell my parents in the car when they ask <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, but-, but, but some sort of a, a sermon guide for kids that goes along with the sermon you're preaching, I have found those to be enormously helpful. Yeah. And my pastor is really good at engaging with children in the sermon itself. In application, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times he will call them out, you know, like, or even I said it once and I don't think he realized he does this, but he has young children too. So it probably helps. But every now and then he'll Mm -hmm. make a noise or some kind of sound effect in with this sermon. Uh And that like, yeah. The kids perk up a little bit again. Oh, I'm paying attention now, you know, right. and uh, little things like that that yes. draw them back in their short attention spans, you know, mm-hmm. to help them to right. be reengaged. Yeah, I'm not a big sound effect man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. liturgical dance, dance sound effects, sermon. you know, light displays, <laughs> trying it all, none of it works. Right. Right. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to do more is just what you said, Amy, as far as addressing mm-hmm. specifically at some point in the sermon the little ones. And so, just recently, I was preaching on something, and in a point of illustration. I was talking about something rather sobering in terms of where our culture has come. And it was a point of application. And at one point, I just said, listen, if you're third grade and under, raise your hand. And I scanned across the room trying to make eye contact with as many of them as possible. And I just talked about the fact that they are being raised in a culture that is in some ways a lot more challenging than the one that I was raised in and that their parents were raised in. They're facing some unique challenges in terms. I got so much feedback from parents after that one moment because they said their kids were just perked up the rest. He's talking to me. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to incorporate more of those. I, I don't want it to be gratuitous so mm-hmm. that it ends up almost being like white noise, mm-hmm. but for it to always be purposeful. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm trying to incorporate more of that. And each time I have, I've been rewarded for it. I mean, I've, I've heard from the parents mm-hmm. what that's meant. And that that's not a hard thing to do. Just during your yeah. study, during your sermon prep pastors, think through what would be a great way to specifically apply this to the younger ones and to address them specifically. And they will perk up. They will hear you mm-hmm. because again, you know, they respect you. They see you as this pastor and, and they want to have a pastor. Right. And it's great for them to understand so that this you isn't are their just pastor. my parents. Pastor. Exactly. 
exactly. I mean, we are Presbyterian Church. They are non-communicable um, <laughs> right. yep. members. And again, is a child going to hear and remember everything they hear in a sermon? Of course not. But neither is an adult. No, it's going to shape them. Exactly. And, and one of the points we've made before is that I learned how to read and write beginning when I was in kindergarten. I don't remember a single lesson during kindergarten, but I know how to read and write. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and let's remember that with our kids. They are going to hear things in a sermon that will stick with them. They're going to hear things in a hymn that will be engraved upon their heart. And what a shame it would be for them to miss that. I think, Carl, you said once that you made it a habit to give away children's books sometimes at the end of your sermons. Yeah, I haven't done that for a while, mainly due to budgetary considerations. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went through it for several years. We would give away children's mm-hmm. books, not every sermon, but right. towards every few weeks, choose some quality right. kids' books to try to get the kids reading. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good literature aimed at children mm-hmm. for children. Yes, that's available there is. Now. There's uh, so much more. I mean, my... One of my elders, Sandy Finlayson, I, he does the order of worship for me. I like to think of him as my content strategist. Uh, my content strategist's wife, Linda, has yes. just done a wonderful book on church history, uh, God's, God's timeline. timeline, church history, which is great yep. for Excellent great for book. kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't recall In when I was a younger book. Christian there being quite such good quality, accessible mm-hmm. And that book materials. is excellent quality. It's yeah. so beautiful. And-, and, and what's great about some of these resources that you're mentioning, and, and there's so many of them now, is that if parents are getting some of these books and, and reading them at home with their kids, and you mentioned Linda Finlayson's new book on, on mm. church history. So imagine then now I know, for instance, I've got kids in my church where if I were to mention Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, they would know who I was talking about <laughs> because, because I know some of the books yeah. that some mm-hmm. of our parents are yeah. reading yeah. Mm-hmm. to their kids. They would perk up. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And again, another way, so much of this engaging kids in worship is not just the pastor's responsibility, but the parent's responsibility during the week. And, you know, that's another great thing. Be reading to them good stuff. Help teach them the vocabulary of the Christian so mm. that when the pastor uses some of those words, the kids are starting to hear that and they're starting to learn those things. But that is, I mean, you know, that's work you do during the week in your parenting. Um, yeah, I mean, there's stuff to do throughout the week to help set them up. Yeah. And one thing our pastor does is he gives a sheet of devotions that you can use with your family that are related to the sermon from the week. So then you can, you know, continue to reap the fruit of the sermon Absolutely. in your family devotions yep. but by going through different parts in Scripture. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great idea. Well... We hope that brief conversation has been of some help and interest to you. Thank you very much for listening. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. If you go there, you'll not only have a chance to donate, because we are a listener-supported podcast, but also to enter to win a copy of our friend Danny Hyde's book, The Nursery of the Holy Spirit, Welcoming Children in Worship, published by Whipfenstock. A little study of how to get your kids more engaged in the public worship of the church. So please visit our website, enter for a chance to win that, and we look forward to being with you next time. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. And feed them on your dreams. The one they picked, the one you know by. Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry 
so just look at them and sigh and know they love you. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... The commandment actually says, don't make an image and don't worship it. So it's both. Seeing that second commandment you know, as a distinct commandment and not subsumed underneath the first. That interview is next time. Join us then.